0: My name is Harrison Wheeler, and this is Technically Speaking. On this episode, Erica Hairston is my guest. She is the co-founder of EdLift, which is on a mission to equip more students for in-demand jobs that they'll love. Her motivation started from her own experience getting into the field of computer science, and the mission takes new meaning given the remote nature of work and education. We'll talk about the importance of taking the leap, her journey to becoming a Y Combinator-backed startup, and tips for female founders. Here's Erica in her own words.
1: When I tried to do things that were not authentic to me, I was detracting from my mission, I was detracting from my purpose. And the more I leaned into authentically Erica, the better things turned out. It is okay to be you, and if anyone has a problem with that, then that's their problem, not yours to fix.
0: Super excited to have Erica Harrison on the show. We're gonna get into so much. I know you've launched EdLift, uh, which was a part of the Y Combinator class of 2020. You've been featured on the App Store, I don't know how many different times. This also isn't the first application or at least the first startup that you've launched. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Harrison. I'm so excited to be here.
0: I know for everybody, you know, most of these shows are kind of centered around design. Erica is actually a startup founder. And I know this audience is filled with creators, thinkers, doers that all have the entrepreneurial mindset. So I know I gave you a a set of Erica, maybe give us a little bit more background in terms of like yourself and and what you're doing.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I'm Erica Hairston, the co-founder and CEO of Edlift. And I also developed an app Called Zimella, And I was the designer for that as well, uh, as long as, as well as the marketer and everything for that app. Uh, and then before that, I was a product manager at LinkedIn and then a software engineer intern at Facebook. Uh, and so I studied computer science and African-American studies, which completely set the path for what I
0: do today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is a very interesting intersection that you don't hear too much. What was that? What was that journey like for you?
1: Yeah, for me? So I knew nothing about tech or coding or computer science before college. And I stumbled on a documentary about how few women and minorities were in it literally the summer before college. And I was like, whoa, how could there be so few people who look like me in this industry of the future? I have to try it. And so overnight, I went from wanting to be an ambassador to needing to be a computer scientist uh, my freshman year of college. And when I got there, I was the only Black woman in the entire CS major at Yale, where it was quite daunting already to be a first-time coder, but then to be, you know, representing my entire identity was overwhelming. And so studying African-American studies was critical uh, to me getting in touch with myself, loving myself, and also just feeling validated and learning about my own history while in these classes that were the exact opposite of that.
0: What ways that that sort of manifest itself, right? In terms of having like that, that clarity, what were some things that you started to notice?
1: When I was studying computer science, it oftentimes felt like I had no one to look up to. And I so desperately wanted to see role models that I could. what it would look like for me to be successful in this space. And I almost quit the computer science major so many times because of just feeling intense imposter syndrome and feeling like I didn't belong. But because I so desperately wanted to be that role model for future people to come, that was the thing that kept me going in the computer science major whenever things got difficult uh, and really sticking it through. And that actually is exactly what the first app that I developed turned out to be, was a way for people to find role models they could look up to um, and relate to and see themselves in. And, and that actually was what I built my senior year of college because I so desperately wanted that uh, in my entire journey. So that experience from my freshman year literally turned into what I began founding as a startup founder.
0: Wow, that that's pretty amazing. So it, it's almost like I'm seeing this theme of you sort of seeing a gap and you going after it and addressing it. What were the types of obstacles, if you will, if there were any? Because I think a lot of times, uh, even to what you mentioned before, it's very easy to get discouraged, right? And so kind of like what were the types of obstacles and what were the things that you did to sort of overcome those?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. When I think about some of the biggest obstacles that I faced on my journey of becoming a founder and even like learning how to code and, and starting a company, oftentimes the common theme is myself. Uh, And really battling like, how, who am I to be in this position Uh, and really trying to see myself as what I wanted to be versus what I felt like the world expected me to be. And the number one thing that got me out of that rut was remembering like my why for why am I doing this? And why do I need to be doing this? And why does this need to exist in the world? And specifically for Zamela, so that was the first app that's been featured on the app store. Um, it started off when actually the head of product at LinkedIn, I was my internship the summer before my senior year. I asked him a question. I said, you had one more year left of college. What would you do differently? And he said, I would build something and get people to use it. And I was like, whoa, can I build something? Like, I I don't know if I can do that. Like, why would anyone want to build, you know, use anything I build? And it was the first time that I, I even it clicked for me. I was like, whoa, I have an entrepreneurial spirit, but I never saw myself in this role. And so I went back and for my senior project, I had done this thing literally for a grade. And I still didn't see myself as a founder at that point, but I was already building it. And people started telling me they wanted to use it and why it needed to exist in the world. And I just had to keep remembering, yes, like I can do this thing and it needs to exist. Um, and so I don't know, long story short is really just like the way I got myself out of the rut was remembering my why and also needing to hear from the community around me um that you can be that person and you can get on the other side
0: i was looking at one of the interviews that you had or i think you were interviewed by maybe like a blog and you said one of the the reasons there hasn't been a black zuckerberg is because there aren't enough people trying <laughs> right yeah
1: I, and that's not mine i i, I actually still that from Michael Stiebel, um okay. who is Y Combinator's um, current president, I believe, but he is a big mentor to me. Yeah. And he said this to me while I was an intern mm. at Facebook. And I think a lot of people need to hear this is that these big tech companies give you these golden handcuffs. Yeah. And especially for folks who this might be their you know highest paying job, you feel like you can't leave to do your own thing. And what Michael told me was, why are you giving away all of your talent uh, when you could be building your own, you know, whatever you want to build? Mm-hmm. And that really clicked for me. Uh, and then I was like, whoa, we've never had opportunities like this. So when we yeah. get a place like Google or Facebook or whatever, we feel like we need to stay. And the risk is too high sometimes. I have very like crisp advice for people who are at big tech companies and want to leave. Uh, because I think this is a very common yeah. mentality that... It's almost like there's a line that so many people are so close, but they never actually want to jump over it. And the most important advice I ever got on this topic was I heard from, he was a a leader at LinkedIn, actually, the head of engineering, uh, Kieran Prasad. He told me this. He was like, I won't take you seriously unless you've done these three things. When I asked him, like, I want to be a startup founder. What do I need to do? Uh, He was like, you need to, A, do your startup math. How much do you need to have saved in the bank in order to feel comfortable enough to quit your job, be like safe for six months, Mm -hmm. pay your rent, whatnot? Have you done that math? Um, So once you have a number in your head, it makes it more concrete. Two, um, make a list of all the people who you think are smarter than you, who inspire you, that you love to work with. Um, And then three, convince them (laughs) to quit their job and, and work on the thing you wanna do with you because people are more likely to take you seriously or invest in something uh, if you can get other yeah. people excited about it. And so I literally went home that day, made the list. My co-founder today, Arnell, yeah. was number one on that list. Um, but what that did for me was it made it a reality of this is what needs to be true in order for me to leave what seemed like the best place yeah. on earth uh, of LinkedIn. Um, and so whatever you, your checklist might be, I think those are three right. places to start, but what do you need to be true for you personally? Uh, in order to feel comfortable and mitigate yeah. risk.
0: So how long did that take for you to just kind of have that realization?
1: Oh my God. People think that that happens overnight. It doesn't. Yeah. It really doesn't happen overnight that you're like, oh, I'm ready to quit and be a founder. Like, no, it is a journey. Um, it took me probably, I I would call it like a ebb, ebb and flow over a year, honestly, because I came uh-huh. out to Silicon Valley with the idea of Zamella. I would launched it. Within the first few months of joining um, LinkedIn, and there were days where I would literally be sitting at my desk and I was like, I'm in the wrong place. I need to be Mm. working on Zamel full time. And I felt it in my heart. But then I would go home and be like, oh, no, I can't leave. That's ridiculous. Um, Mm. And then there were other days where I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing with my side, you know, project. It can't be anything big. I need this full time job. And so over a year's time, as I you know, filled out my checklist, as I met more people, as I surrounded myself with more startup folks, it started to become more real. Um, and then I got to a point where I couldn't do both anymore. And, and mm. after a year and a half at LinkedIn, spending time on the shuttle, coding, working, you know, LinkedIn during the day, it was too much. And yeah. I finally felt like this is the best possible position um, for me to make the jump. But it was a year, a year and a half. <laughs>
0: ever have an idea of starting a podcast? I had one for quite a while before I took the leap and started Technically Speaking. Anchor.fm made it easier than ever. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast, and it has everything you need in one place. Let me explain. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone, tablet, or computer. It handles all of your distribution so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Did I mention it's free? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Let's talk about that, that journey from then to now. You have an app that's actually out there on the market that people are using. Um, sort of what was the process like getting into Y Combinator and even sort of getting it funded so you could actually get to that point where you feel comfortable?
1: Yeah. So the process of getting into Y Combinator and getting your, you know, startup out there, it's not a clear line. There's no one way to do it. And so for me specifically, I'd actually applied to Y Combinator twice um, with my team with two different ideas, actually. Um, and so I think a lot of people only hear the success stories and it's actually very common for people to get rejected, learn, make progress, and then apply again. So that's, that's the number one thing is like, don't be discouraged um, if you don't get it the first time. So the first time it was on a whim, to be honest, it was a few days after our my co-founder decided to join me to work on Samella and the applications actually had already closed. And for me getting into Y Combinator was like, the harvard for startups it was like this is the safest way to do a startup it is the best launch pad into something that just feels so unknown and so the moment she decided to join i was like let's just do this and the biggest misunderstanding i think i had about the process the first time was i thought you needed to have like the perfect idea and you need to be able to show you have users and and that that's the way to get in and and I The way we applied last time, we didn't have very much, a lot of clarity around like, this is the problem we're trying to solve and we're the best ones to do it. Those are the only two things that matter. Your solution will change. Like they don't care as much about the solution, about the solution. It is truly how close to the problem is this team and how many people also feel this problem. And the difference between the first time we applied and the second time we applied, you can totally see we learned that. Um, So yeah, that would be the number one thing is really focusing deep on the problem and then getting help. So the second time we applied, we had multiple people review our application. We did multiple practice interviews, whereas the first time we thought we had to do it alone. uh, And that is just really not the case. And so post on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah.
0: What was your mindset like the first time? Was it, you know, were you just ready to go? Were you super confident that it was just going to yeah. work out? Like, what was your mindset <laughs> been? In
1: retrospect, it sounds a little nuts. Um, but I had actually just finished doing Apple Entrepreneur Camp. So for all women founders on listening, definitely apply to Apple mm. Entrepreneur Camp. It's two weeks, nine to five, where you work with Apple designers, engineers, everything on your app. Uh, and so I had done that. And for wow. two weeks, I was surrounded by these women founders who were, you know, 20 to, to 40 uh, and they're years old. And there were only about like 15 of us, some of them who had raised a series B, like tens of millions mm-hmm. of dollars, some of them who had hundreds of thousands of users, and we all became friends. And I was like, these are dope women. I can do this. Like, they are nice people. <laughs> they they. It was the first time that I actually met someone in the role that I could relate to that I wanted to be in. And so, coming off of that, I was ready. I was surrounded by what I Mm. wanted to be. Whereas when I was at LinkedIn, I was surrounded by what I was. And it was hard to imagine myself in any other place. And so, two days after that ended, Y Combinator's application was closing. And I was like, now is the time. I'm ready. Like, what do we have to lose? Um, and for me, there was no such thing as losing. It was just learning. Best case scenario, we get in. Worst case, we get rejected and they give yeah. us great feedback. Um, so that was my mindset. So it was okay if we didn't get in. And we didn't. But it, I think if we hadn't applied that first time, hmm. we wouldn't have learned everything that we needed to get in the second time. And so that was my mindset the
0: first time. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I I, I think the thing that really kind of stands out there for me is the fact that you weren't afraid because you realized it was still going to be a learning experience if you got accepted or you didn't. Exactly. How has the remote nature Mm. changed sort of your perception on on how to run a business?
1: So going fully remote in 2020, for us specifically, I actually think um, became a catalyst for our business and that with startups, you're often told you need to do things that don't scale. Meaning like being on the ground, like talking to people on the street, whatever you have to do to get things off the ground. And I think that still holds true, but it looks a little bit different, fully remote, when you're at this early stage. And so I think the initial perspective that I had before going fully remote was to get Edlift off the ground, I need to be in the same place, in the same room as every one of my ideal customers. And in a fully remote world, that is literally not possible. You need to figure out how to do that completely virtually. Which, if you think about it, that's the goal when when your startup scales is you need to be able to do that virtually. So what it's done for me is made me realize this is actually how we can get from point A to point Z um, rather quickly uh, in terms of learning about how do we get in touch with our users, how do we still create human connections uh, without being able to like meet them and talk to them on the street. Um, so I would say it like increased our scalability um in that way is the first thing. And then second, in terms of building a company culture, how do you do that when you can't be in the same room as your co-founder? So I literally I've seen my co-founder socially distanced once in the last seven <laughs> months, which is insane to me. Because this is the person who's I had a yeah. mattress on the floor throughout Y Combinator, you know, working in her apartment. Uh and then COVID happened. And I think we've had to develop different practices. Um, And be way more intentional about the way we want values to trickle through our company. And so an example of this, for example, is on Wednesdays. Now we do 15 minutes of like company yoga virtually together um, as a way to like ground ourselves literally to the world and to each other and like be in the same space Mm. mentally and spiritually. And that's something we probably never would have done in person. um, But it was something that was really important to us to find a way to be connected um, and so building company cultural culture remote has definitely mm-hmm. by far been the biggest shift um, yeah. because of 2020.
0: <laughs> All right so I'm going to take a step back because we never did this but Erica can you can you give me the pitch for EdLift? <laughs> for
1: sure yeah so the pitch for Edlift. EdLift is on a mission to help create the next million new computer science college graduates over the next 10 years. And so the way we're doing that is we've built this paid support program and platform that helps college students do their toughest STEM classes, starting with computer science. And the way it works is that every student gets access to six more hours of support each week online in the form of three ways. So the first is they're immediately connected to a student who's aced the class before, who hosts these online group tutoring sessions. The second is they're matched in small study groups of other students in their class who will be their crew for the ride. And then lastly, they get access to content and tools that we've developed to really help them break down and navigate complex STEM fields. And really what all of that is, is what my co-founder and I did for ourselves when we were banging our heads against the wall, trying to get computer science degrees. And it just felt like there was way more friction than there needed to be. And the impetus behind starting EdLift was that we thought it was ridiculous that we were considered the exception as two people who quite honestly were initially intimidated by tech and computer science, but who then went off to work at some of the top 10 companies in the world at Facebook and Google and whatnot. And so we wanted to find a way to help way more people get into these high growth, high in demand fields um, in a way that was in a community and gave them the support that they needed to, to succeed. Mm.
0: I know that there are a lot of aspiring female entrepreneurs. What are maybe one or two pieces of advice you could give them? So
1: the first advice that I would give to aspiring female entrepreneurs is that you need to remember that leaning into who you are is the most important thing you can do. And especially becoming a founder, I've learned that the entire ecosystem is very male-dominated in a way that can make you feel small and like you need to be someone you're not. And I think when I tried to do things that were not authentic to me, I was detracting from my mission. I was detracting from my purpose. And the more I leaned into authentically Erica, the better things turned out. And so women, I think women, even if you're not an aspiring entrepreneur need to hear this, Um, but it's really like, it is okay to be you. And if anyone has a problem with that, then that's their problem, not yours to fix. And then the second piece of advice for aspiring female entrepreneurs is to lean on one another. I would not be here today if it weren't for other female entrepreneurs, hands down. Um, And by that, I mean, sharing resources, sharing like funding opportunities and contractors like that wealth of knowledge amongst each other and sharing experiences, knowing that you're not the only one going through this is so critical. Um, one, just for mental health, but also the success of your business. So find a pod or a crew of other women entrepreneurs to lean on.
0: Hey, Erica, for one, thanks for being on the show. What are some resources or ways that people can find out more about you or Edlift?
1: Yeah, so the way people can find out more about me or Edlift or Zamala is they can follow us on Twitter. So I'm at Beba Erica and Edlift, my startup is at Edlift, E-D-L-Y-F-T, uh, and we're also on Instagram and LinkedIn with the same at uh, E-G-L-Y-F-T, I'd left.
0: Enjoy this episode? Be sure to hit the subscribe button on whatever podcast platform that you use. You can also subscribe to my newsletter at HarrisonWheeler.com for the latest industry insights, new article posts, and announcements of future guests on the show. Once again, thanks for listening to this episode of Technically Speaking. I'm your host, Harrison Wheeler, and I'm out.